Hello, my name is Kevin Albertson and I'm a Professor of Economics at the Manchester Metropolitan University Business School. Now I want to talk to you today about something you may think has very little to do with climate change, but bear with me. I want to talk about the theory of democracy. There's a lot of people in the world today challenging democracy. They say it's, it's not very well. In America, other leading democracies too, citizens are increasingly critical of the concept of democracy. I actually think that's probably not true. What's happening really is that perhaps democracy is not doing what it has supposedly been said to do. And in particular, I want you to consider the possibility that democratic governments are not actually representing the will of the electorate. Now, if that is the case, then it seems reasonable to ask whether or not a government which is called democratic actually is really democratic. A democratic government, I'm sure you know, is supposed to represent the will of the demos, that is to say, the people, or in practice, the voting people. But consider in the UK. For 40 years, the people of Britain have disapproved of four decades of reducing tax and welfare privatisation. Well, they've been reducing privatisation. Privatisation has been increasing. The people of the UK are not in favour of those things, yet we're apparently powerless to influence those policies. Now, the more frequently government declines to implement policies that most people in Britain want, the less likely people are to, to vote. Mark Twain once said, if voting changed anything, they wouldn't let people do it. If people feel like it really makes no difference which party they vote for, the same policies will be implemented, then they're very much less likely to vote, of course. They may well, however, choose to vote for populist, as it's sometimes said, leaders. I'm not going to point a finger at anybody and say this person's a populist and that person is a populist, but just consider there's a kind of an irony here. People say that populist leaders are challenging democracy, populist leaders are pretty much by definition popular. A popular leader is supposed to be the kind of person that a democracy may well allow to take control, or at least if not to take control, to represent the will of the people. Because really, don't forget, the government is supposed to represent the will of the people. Abraham Lincoln, I'm sure you've heard his famous arguments about a legitimate government, it does for a community what that community cannot do for themselves. Now, it seems to me that seems a reasonable definition of a democratic government. Governments quite often are said to break down into right wing and left wing. Now, this comes from, historically, it comes from the previous, from the, start again, from the period previous to the French Revolution. The people on the right, broadly speaking, think government should run the country for the benefit of the owners. The people on the left, broadly speaking, think government should run the country for the benefit of the citizens. Now, in the past, in the UK, for example, it was only those people that actually did own parts of the country that were allowed to vote. So there was no real problem between having a supposed democracy and also a right-wing government. But about 100 years ago, slightly more than 100 years ago, working class people, and generally all adults over a certain age, got to get the vote 
in the UK. Other countries around the world had it at similar periods of time. New Zealand, as I'm sure you know, was one of the first countries in the world to give everybody, every adult at any rate, the vote. Now, if you think about it, you will see that democracy, if it is carried out according to its selling point, democracy is going to be a left-wing institution. If all adult citizens have the vote, it's likely that they are going to elect a government, if they can, which will reflect their point of view. You remember that a supposed economic left-wing government will prioritise the interest of citizens over owners. I'm not necessarily trying to say there's anything wrong with prioritising the interest of owners. I mean, if you own a car, you expect to be able to run it according to however you want. If you own a house, you expect to be able to run your house however you want. And so there is some justification for saying if you happen to own bits of the country, then you perhaps should be able to run them however you want. But that is a right-wing economic position, not a left-wing economic position. Now, there is a problem in a country like the UK, which is increasingly owned by foreign interests. A lot of UK businesses are foreign-owned, a lot of UK property is foreign-owned. And so you can see there's going to be a bit of a discrepancy between what the owners of the nation are hoping will be implemented in terms of economic policy and what the citizens of the nation are hoping will be implemented in terms of economic policy. One way around the tension between the right wing and the left wing, of course, would be to have the country owned by the people who live here relatively evenly. That wouldn't be socialism, of course. Socialism is when no one owns anything and there's no such thing as private property. Whereas if you have an even distribution of privately owned assets, that isn't socialism. That is, well, a capital-owning democracy, which, funnily enough, Mrs. Thatcher was very much in favour of. She didn't manage to achieve it, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't a perfectly legitimate goal. Now, it's worth asking, why is it the case that supposed democratic governments are not implementing policy that, in the case of Britain at any rate, the majority of the electorate seem to want. And I think that is because there is a tension between a capitalist democracy, particularly in a globalised world, and a democracy which represents the interest of the citizens, if there is increasing inequality. See, a capitalist democracy where you have increasing inequality, there is a wedge driven between the owners and the citizens of a country. Now that tension has been resolved over about the last four decades by what used to be called monetarist economics. Nowadays it's known as neoliberalism or the Washington Consensus, but basically what it says is that democratically elected governments shouldn't really do an awful lot other than make sure the market has its way. Hence, free market economics is another way of talking about monetarism or neoliberalism. Free market economics undermines democracy because it is essentially saying that final decisions about everything should be left to the market. Now, we've discussed in earlier podcasts that the market does not necessarily give you 
an equitable conclusion. People who have far more resources are the ones who can shape the way the market works. And so therefore, the results which we will wind up in a free market system and the results which we will have if we live in a democratic system are different results. Just think, for example, what are some of the priorities that a right-wing government will put in place? A government which prioritises the interest of owners. Well, for a start, they're going to prioritise the rights of ownership. They're going to prioritise law and order. Neither of those things are bad in and of themselves. I mean, if you have ownership, law and order means that. People can't take away your ownership away by force. They're going to prioritise individual aspirations. A left-wing government is more likely to prioritise things which will benefit the community. They're more likely not necessarily to trust the market. They may take whole industries out of the market. For example, utilities might be taken out of the market, or at least it wouldn't be left to the free market to decide who gets these things. There will be a consideration beyond who can afford to pay about how scarce resources are distributed. It may well be that it goes to people who need, for example, energy, rather than people who can afford to pay for energy as energy becomes increasingly expensive. So therefore, we come to the conclusion, which is that the global liberal system has undermined democratic accountability of our governments. This may be a good thing. It may not be a good thing. I'm not going to say whether I think it is or not. But it is clearly not possible to have governments which are held to account by the rules of the market, as people used to say, while at the same time having government, government which is accountable to the will of the people. Abraham Lincoln suggested government of the people, by the people, for the people. A globalised neoliberal system ultimately will result in government of the people, by the market, for the profit. Now, I've, I realise I have caricatured to some extent both left-wing and right-wing. There are very few, if any, pure right-wing political parties in the world. Sometimes we say such and such a party is, is a right-wing party, but still even in a state which is run by a party like that, there will be some social security. Maybe not as much as people want, but there still will be some. There will be nations which are said to be left-wing, they may be left-wing, but they may not. It may well be that nations which are said to be left-wing still do not have democratically accountable government. It may be, for example, that they have done away with private property altogether, which, of course, is not what a left-wing government should be doing. Now, what does this have to do with the situation in which we find ourselves, where we have resource constraints, essentially for the foreseeable future. Well, it strikes me that if we are going to be able to cope with these resource constraints in a mature and relatively peaceful way, we need significantly to strengthen democratic accountability so people feel that their point of view has not been put to one side. If, however, we 
enter a decade when it's likely there's going to be a fair amount of economic change. And the interests of a large group of people continually seem to be sidelined. Well, it may well not lead to a socially harmonious approach to sharing out what resources remain. So I would suggest, as long as doing our best to head away or to head off the challenges that we face economically, we significantly need to improve our democratic accountability so as to face off, to face down the challenges which we have socially. Thank you very much for your kind attention.